Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, we do have more room on Saturday nights, okay? This place is packed out this morning, and, and it has been like this for our two morning services. So if you want to check out our Saturday evening service, it is filling up, but uh, you can come and hang out with us. We are working on our, we've got an overflow. It's in 106, but we, uh, the one that we were using for Easter weekend, 107, needs a little work, but we're going to get that up to speed, so we'll have much more space. Good to have you with us. We are uh, working through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 4. We're going to look at that chapter this weekend. Recovering all. We're going to talk about relationships. You're probably saying, wait a minute, didn't we just talk about relationships? Remember that long series we did? It was about a six-week series. Actually, it was seven, including the, the tail end of the first series, Reboot, and then we went into relationships, a mess worth making. And and we spent a lot of time on relationships, but we're going to come back to it because we're going to focus more about our relationships here in the church community. And uh, I want to start off by sharing with you 12 reasons why I, as a pastor, have decided to quit going to sporting events. You guys ready? Here's number one. The coach never came to visit me. Number two, every time I went, they asked for money. Number three, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number four, the seats were too close together. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only come when the team is doing well. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. I like that one. I like that one. Number eight, the band played some songs I had never heard before. Number nine, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. You guys catching the drift here? Oh, yeah. Number 10, my parents took me too many, to too many games when I was growing up. I'm wounded. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. Number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they will like best. Pretty crazy, pretty crazy stuff. I mean, I certainly you can see these are some of the excuses I've heard people make about going to church. And here's the thesis statement. I'm going to be right up front here this morning with you. I'm going to push you hard and... Uh, and here's the thesis statement, it should be there on your notes, that there is no way, no way you will be able to survive or even thrive spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a biblically functioning community of believers. And I'm going to try to convince you of that. I mean, it's very biblical what I'm saying here. It's really, really important. And there's three groups of people I'm thinking of. I mean, have you guys ever gone to a sermon or listened to a sermon and you thought, man, this would be perfect for, yeah, and you had a friend you were thinking about? I've got a few friends I'm thinking about this morning, okay? And the, and the people that I'm thinking about here are, uh, let me just, let me, let me preface this. I, I love you guys, okay? <laughs> oh, he's getting, he's setting us up. One two punch, set us up with the, with the left and gonna clobber us with the right. You guys know it's coming. I, I go to a personal trainer, my wife and I, and that dude pushes us, believe me. And uh, he cuts us no slack. And there are times that uh, 
He'll, he'll say, hey, you know what, you're kind of dogging it, get with it. And he'll say, uh, he'll say, oh, you can do a few more reps. There's, you still got more in you. And I, I'm glad he does. I'm in better shape now than I think I've ever been because of him pushing me. So I'm here to push you because I love you. I want you to, to excel spiritually. I want you to exceed spiritually. I want you to experience all that God has for you. So the three groups I'm thinking about are, are first of all, those of us, and there's a lot of people that listen to us online. They've got the DB app, and so I want to make sure I hit everybody. But those that don't have a church home, they're just kind of floating around between churches. You need to find a church home. You need to get plugged in. The next group would be those that come to church for our weekend services far less you're, you're, you're uh, not here far less than you are, or far more than you are here. That, okay, I'll get it right here in a minute. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? That you just, you gotta show up casually whenever you feel like it. If you don't have anything better to do, then maybe you'll come to church. I'm talking to you, okay? And uh, I'm talking also to those that do come regularly, but you're just kind of checking the church box. You haven't got any... You haven't gotten involved any more than just what you're doing here on weekend services. You're not getting involved in ministry. You're not connected to a small group. And so I want to push you. I want to challenge you for your good. I have, I have your good at heart. And I, I really want the best for you. If you were to come to me, and I've used this in our game of life. It's, I haven't used it much here, weekend services. But if you came to me and said, Pastor Ray, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. How do you think I would respond to that? You think maybe I would respond like this? Hey, I kind of know how you feel because, uh, <laughs> because I, I, ha I have to live with her, okay? And it's been hard for close to 40 years now. And believe me, I know exactly, I know exactly how you feel. I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't know me very well if I said that. I would say, are you kidding me? If you don't love her, you don't love me because her and I are one. We go together. And, and here's my point, and that is, if you love Jesus but avoid the church, you're saying to Jesus, I love you, but I can't stand your bride. Believe me, believe me. You get to know Jesus, you're going to love his bride. And his bride is represented through local church families like Desert Breeze right here, and you're going to get involved. And, and yeah, yeah, we're a mess. And the bride is a bit of a mess, but that's why we have a Savior. That's why we need Him desperately. And so this is, you can take a look at your notes here. This is where we're headed. We're going to pray in a moment, but let me just show you where we're headed. We're going to work through the text a little bit differently than what we have been in this uh, series. We've been reading the whole chapter. We're going to read a few verses, and I'll give you a point of, you know, uh, blank to fill in and then we'll read a few verses and kind of go back and forth between the verses and points. But you can see we're going to look at root causes for our disconnectedness. And then we'll finish up by talking about uh, that the benefits of connectedness far outweigh the risks. This is a powerful chapter here, and it's uh, very profound what he has to say about our connectedness with one another. And so that's where we're headed. Let's start with a uh, word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? And then we'll, we'll read the text and unpack these notes. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we can... We can know you. We can grow in our relationship with you. We can encounter you through, through these songs of worship and also through the study of your word. And God, we pray that you would help us to shed the unreality of self-sufficiency and that we would be so captivated by the vision of being in the middle of your redemptive purposes on this planet by being deeply involved in a local church community. Help us to recover the, the awe and wonder of your greatness and love. 
open our eyes to see the war that rages between created things and, and our creator. You, our creator, over, over our heart's deepest loyalties and affections. Help us to root out the causes of our disconnectedness and fully embrace the benefits of community that far outweigh the cost. We pray these things in Jesus' glorious name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this. So let's begin reading Ecclesiastes chapter 4. These first three verses are a gut punch. And that's how he starts this chapter here. He says, again, I say, I saw, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. Exclamation mark. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Stop there just for a minute. Let me give you a fill in the blank. Put in that blank distrust. Root causes of our disconnectedness. One would be distrust because of abuse. Secondary to abuse. And that's what he's talking about here in verses 1 through 3. Proverbs 18, 19. You can see the verses there right next to each of these points. They're kind of cross-references. They kind of give you a bit of a commentary of what we're talking about. So I'm going to highlight some of them, paraphrase some of them. Proverbs 18, 19, it says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Now, everybody look up here just for a minute. Let me ask you this question. What would you say... To a young woman in her mid-twenties who says she hates God and the church because her parents took her to a pastor for counseling as a teenager only for her to be molested by that pastor. What would you say about that? By the way, we've had people that have come into Desert Breeze in that condition. And I'm, I'm shocked that they would even come to church, to be quite honest with you, after having experienced that. Because some of the worst abuse is spiritual abuse. That's some of the absolutely worst. When someone's speaking in the name of God and then they, they would abuse you or hurt you. And I've been a part of churches and places where there was that kind of abuse. Unbelievable. How would you respond to that? What he's saying here in verses 1 through 3 really is, is he's trying to emphasize something. Sometimes there are no easy answers and we are surrounded by hurt, pain, and sorrow. But as we work through this text, and by the way, let me just say this. Every one of us have been hurt by someone and maybe even a church setting to a greater or lesser degree. But we've got to work through that. We've got to, and I think that as he's going to help us to see this as we work through this text, is that unresolved past hurts, unresolved past hurts will hinder and harm present and future relationships. That's a fact. And so that's why it's important to work through those things. Okay, let let me just level with you. You've been hurt. We've all been hurt, greater or lesser degree. You've got to work on those hurts. Because the tendency is to swing to the other extreme and just throw it all away. It's like, forget them, forget that group, forget that church, forget God. That's the tendency that we do. We go to the other extreme. We throw the baby out with the bathwater. Unresolved past hurts will hinder and harm present and future relationships. That's a fact. 
And some of our deepest hurts come from people, but the irony is that more than anything else, God, God uses people to heal people. God uses people to heal people. So don't, don't let past hurts make you hard, but let them make you wise. Be wise in relationships. Don't just throw all relationships out the window, but be wise with your relationships. And uh, it's almost as, he, as we work through this, because he, when we reach verses 9 through 12 are just really breathtaking verses. When I first discovered these verses a number of years ago, they just brought tears to my eyes. The, the kind of community that we, we should have, that we can have, not only in our families, but in our small groups, but in this church. It's pretty breathtaking, and I think what he's wanting us to understand is, as he's working, as we work through this text, that in the middle of all of this mess that we live in, we need each other, we desperately need each other with Christ in the center. Now, would you guys, you guys agree with me, you're never going to find a perfect church? Would you agree with that? Okay. You'll never find a perfect church. You can search until you're blue in the face, you'll never find a perfect church. In fact, do me a favor. If you ever do find a perfect church, please don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming? Now, no, I probably wouldn't, but no, I would mess it up just like you. There are no perfect churches. And, and uh, Scott Famelli, our uh, executive pastor, is taking our staff currently through uh, a series that he'll probably be offering to the church family. It's uh, dealing with anger anger management kind of thing. It's really good stuff. And in the front end of that, this is what he said. I'm just going to read part of it. He said this, we are flawed people in relationships with flawed people living in a fallen world, but with a faithful God, with a faithful God. And so, I mean, the best I can do is just point you to him. I mean, that's, and the best you can do is point me to him. And we together point to him and help others to, to come to know him. So the first thing is distrust. Root causes of disconnectedness, of our disconnectedness, distrust. We've got to work through that. Here's the next one is envy. Look at verse 4 of our text. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the win. Write down envy there. Verse 4, James 1, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And when you think of, and the Bible, the Bible nails it. <laughs> and what causes the strife among us? And he, he says in that, this is just a paraphrase, isn't it the passions at war within you, those passions, those desires, that envy. And it's, it's really this idea of envy is why we have pop culture. You can buy, wear, drive things that that everyone wants, that gives you a sense, you know, a false sense of significance. And if you have more than others, and maybe others have more than you, that's what creates that envy. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever found yourself celebrating someone else's failures? Now, deep down in your heart, deep down in your heart, you, you, you wouldn't do it outwardly, of course, because you, you, you want to convey like, you, you know, you've got it all together, but behind someone's back or maybe like, ah, they deserve it. Now, typically, you don't do that. Uh, you, you, what we typically do is we do that with people that have things that we, we want. I mean, f 
I'll be honest. There have been times I've been very envious of other pastors and other churches in the valley. And I thought to myself, these people don't even preach the gospel. And look at the, the growth that's happening there. That's just a superficial church. Boy, the Lord convicted me of that because he says, where's your identity? Where's your sense of security? There was almost kind of a celebration. And let me ask you another question that goes along with that. Have you ever found yourself angry at someone else's success? Now, if you were to look deep into your heart, there are those things that maybe if you have misplaced your identity, that if others have more than you, it can create that sense of envy. Envy will always derail your chance of deep relationships because if, if you believe you deserve what God chooses to give to others, then you're going to be envious. If you were really honest about that, I mean, you're going to see some things because none of us are perfectly centered on Christ. We tend to center ourselves on anything and everything other than Christ. And whatever those things are, oftentimes when we see someone that has more of those things, that's what stirs up that envy. And that's why we tend to, tend to be sad when they're successful or happy when they're failing. That's, that's what envy is. If you can't rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15, then envy will lead to pretense, which will hinder deep community. Here's the next one, verse 5. He says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That sounds bizarre. That's a, that's a kind of a metaphor he's speaking. It's laziness is what he's talking about here. Proverbs 24, 33 through 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Intimacy requires work. I had no idea until I got married. And boy, that, that came after me hard. I thought we were close, and we weren't until we really started going through difficulties. Intimacy requires work. No one stumbles into it. No one trips over their Bible and suddenly says, wow, look how close I am to God, or look how, I, how close I am to these within my small group or within this church. It has to be wrestled with, fought for, and worked on. Lazy people never know the joy of deep community, not only with God, but with others. And uh, the man that folds his arms ends up devouring himself because he is too lazy to feed himself. Now, here's what I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push you a little bit more on this one. Is that if I were to do a survey here this morning, I'm sure everybody would raise their hand if I were to say, hey, so you guys, how many think that it's really important to have personal devotions and, you know, spend time in God's word and prayer? Just between you and God. And everybody would raise their hand. Yep, 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 yep. And then if I were to say, how many think you need to come to church regularly? Yep, yep, yep. Everybody would raise their hand. How many think you need to connect with other Christians on a deeper level? Yep, 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 yep. Most people would raise their hand. And yet if I were to look at your life, your life would betray what you're saying that you value. Because it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it out. And this is what I've discovered in my own life is that the things that I value, I prioritize, and the things that I prioritize, I practice. So I just look at my practices. If I look at your practices, what would it tell me about your values? Regardless of what you say, it's not about what you say you value, it's what you were actually living out. Now, now let me just say this. You don't start working on your priorities and your practices to try to change those. You've got to get back to your values. Because... Believe me, the more you discover that this is God's word, he speaks to us through his word. It is alive and powerful. Oh my goodness. 
We can encounter the living God through his word. We can, we can connect with him. We can get on our knees. I was on my knees in my bedroom this morning. Oh my goodness. It's overwhelming that we can connect with the living God, that he knows us. He loves us. He adores us. He gave his life for us. You don't have to tell me to read my Bible. You don't have to tell me to go to church. Oh my goodness, I want more of him. Because spiritual disciplines increase my capacity to experience more of him. I'm desperate for him. I want him more than anything. And, uh, and that's, so, work, you got to work on your values. You got to begin to see. You, you have to pray, oh God, oh God, open my eyes and ears to see your glory and beauty. And I'll tell you what, you get a glimpse of him, and I know many of you have, you get a glimpse of him, game over. There's no game plan. Oh my goodness, you want to be right in the middle of what God's doing. It, it's I've been doing this for 25 years oh my goodness believe me it is getting sweeter and better and stronger and more amazing than I could ever describe I mean I can't even put words to it what a crazy ride this has been Amazing. I want you to experience that. I want you to know that. I want you to be so overwhelmed with the beauty and the glory of Christ that it's just like, poof, I'm going for him. I want to be right in the middle of his redemptive purposes. And what he's doing, he's doing in local church families, right here in the community, like Desert Breeze. Okay. Whew. I'm sorry. Oh. Thank you. Love you guys. I do love you guys. I love you guys a lot. I want you to experience the presence of God. There is nothing like his presence. And laziness is going to rob you. It's going to rip you off, man. It really will. You've got to get, get going. But more than anything, work on that value, that, that sense of value when you understand who it is that you have. You have an audience with the, with the creator of the universe. And then fatigue can set in. There can be compassion fatigue. You can be too involved in ministry. There's all kinds of things. Look at verse 6. He says, better is a handful of quietness than, than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. Proverbs 17.1, better to have, a, have dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting and strife. Listen, you can't squeeze deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule. That's just a fact. You can't do it. And wise people know that they cannot microwave marriages, parenting, or friendship. If you don't have time for church, if you don't have time for small group, if you don't have time for your own personal devotions, you're too busy. You're way too busy. You gotta slow the pace a little bit. You gotta ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Get some margin in your life. It's in that being still and knowing that he is God. 46.10, step out of the traffic, take a long loving look at me, your high God. That's from the message. 
from, from Psalm 46.10. Oh my goodness, that's what you were created for. You were created to know him, to experience him, and then have your life so filled up with him that it just overflows in impact in the people that you live with and around. And it's just, that's, and fatigue will take its toll. Take its toll on your life and it keeps you from that. And then there's verses 7 through 8. Let me read it. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. So he has no community is what he's talking about there. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Greed is the fill in the blank here. I mean, you could put a lot of different things. You could put workaholism, which is driven by greed. Psalm 127.2, it is in vain you rise up early and go late to rest and have this anxious toil. Greed values money and stuff over relationships. Greed loves stuff and uses people rather than using stuff and loving people. Greed drives workaholism. Workaholism is the enemy of genuine community. We, we can work way too much. And uh, created things, we've been talking about it throughout this series, created things are gifts from God and pointers to God. Created things are meant to help us find our deepest happiness in God. Problems begin when we believe we can find more happiness, more awe in God's creation than in God himself. That's what, that, why, why do we work so, why do we chase after these things? And, and I'm, I'm more convinced of this than ever before. You know, I'm, I've been at the bedside of many who are taking their last breath, both as a medic with Phoenix Fire and then also as a pastor. And I know where true happiness is found. It's not in the pursuit of more stuff, believe me. In fact, most of you would all agree that the happiest people, I know this as it relates to me, the happiest people I know are not people who spend their time, energy, and money trying to acquire more and more stuff, but people who spend their time, energy, and money on building relational capital and equity. Those are the happy people. And they're even, whatever they have, they utilize it so that they can build better relationships, whatever that might be. And uh, take a look at your notes. Next kind of, this is kind of the segue to the, uh, to the next, next part of this. It was not good for the man to be alone. Genesis 2.18, you guys familiar with that, that text? You guys know that. It was not good for the man to be alone, not because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect if he needed community in his perfect state, even more do we need it in our imperfect fallen state. And here's what's crazy about this. There's going to be those that are going to walk out of here this weekend and still not be convinced. And, and your behavior will betray, you know, your values and what you say that you think that are actually important. But our being flawed and living in a fallen world blinds us to this need. That's part of living in this fallen world and being flawed. And your disconnectedness and isolation is the devil's playground. I see it all the time. 
you go through some difficulties, you take some hits, you have experienced some losses, and the first thing, people start isolating from the church. That's when you need to be pressing in. In fact, you needed to be pressing in before those things happened. So that you had that capital, that relational capital and equity to support you through the hard times. But, I, but the enemy isolates. And he says, hey, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows the trouble you see. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? But, uh, I mean, nobody can understand you. He tries to make you feel like you're all alone and nothing could be further from the truth. And now, let me ask you this, just show of hands, how many have ever felt like that? You felt like you're all alone, nobody knows what's going on. Yep, 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 yep. There's a lot of hands in here. Absolutely. That's the work of the enemy, by the way. You should be running into the arms of your Savior. You should be running into the arms of, of his people and embracing them and letting them love on you. And, and that's what we desperately need more than anything. Connectivity, connectivity has never been quicker and easier. I mean, it's, it's a crazy time that we live in right now. You can take a picture of your sampler, a cheesecake factory, post it on Facebook or Twitter so that all your friends can be jealous of your chicken wings, okay? <laughs> I mean, isn't that crazy? It's just absolutely crazy. And yet, what's interesting, connectivity has never been quicker or easier. And yet, sociologists would say that we have never felt more alone and more unknown than at any time in history. You know what's going on in our culture today, and a lot of this has infiltrated the church, is uh, individualism. I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own. It's rampant in our culture, and it's rampant in our churches. There's a whole new kind of thing that has happened here in America. They're called mega churches. And the reason why they've grown so rapidly is because uh, people want anonymity. I've talked to a lot of people. Yeah, I don't want any people to know whether I've come or not come. There's people that have left this church because we were too small. And actually, we're, we would be more, mega churches represent only 1% of the church world. What's the average church size? It's about 100. Average church size is still 100. That's really where you can connect well with a group of people. But uh, 80% of the churches in America today are below, 80% are below 250. We have about 13, 1,400 people that would call this their church home. On any, any given weekend average, we have over, well over 1,000 people that show up here. And you can, you can become somewhat anonymous here. You can hide here. We're not going to let you. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I'm coming after you. And by the way, you know what's interesting about this is some people don't even like it because we're too intimate. This guy's like in our face. I mean, look at this. I'm so close to you guys. I love it. I can look you in the eyes and challenge you. And obviously you guys like it because you're here. We'll see how big of a crowd we've got next weekend, huh? <laughs> God is doing some amazing things here, but as we grow larger, we need to grow smaller too by getting plugged into small groups and being a part of ministry. Not just small groups, but ministry too. There's a community within ministry. These ministry teams, believe me, this worship team and the people that are involved in other teams, our team helping out with our kids and our high school students that do a fabulous job, man, they've got community. They're doing some community together as they're ministering to others, and it's absolutely fabulous. But individualism, don't let individualism take hold of your heart. It's rampant in our culture today. You need to get plugged in. Now, let me talk to you about the benefits that far outweigh the risk. And these are the marks of a healthy community of believers. By the way, these are the marks of a healthy marriage relationship. These are the marks of a healthy family. These are the marks of a healthy small group. 
community. These are the marks of healthy ministry teams. And the first one, look at verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That's synergy. This church outgrew me 20, 25 years ago, okay? <laughs> We've been going for 25 years. When we launched this church in the Boys and Girls Club at 4730 West Grovers, this, this place was already, had already outgrown me. We started with 16 in my home and grew to 40. Pretty much that outgrew me. We moved into the Boys and Girls Club, and then from there we grew to about 150 pretty quick. But it was, it was so so important that everybody that called this their church home that they begin to roll up their sleeves and get involved because yeah I've got some gifts that you need but you have gifts that I need and we together create this synergy it's called the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they're powerful and they're amazing how God has shaped you how he's given you spiritual gifts and a heart and abilities and personality and life experiences not just to hoard and to hang on to but to share with others the grace of God and it creates a synergy. And the synergy, the idea of that, the definition is the output is greater than the sum of the parts. There's a multiplication that takes place when we hang out together. We're better able to minister because you can speak into someone's life that I can't speak into. And vice versa. And we can, we can share our giftings and, and have that much greater of an impact. I was studying this out a little bit more and found that ducks flying V formation adds 71% to their flying. 71%. Who taught them that? God. They had 71%. Can you imagine what it adds to us when we join our giftings together? I mean, I know. I've watched it. 25 years of this. Front row seat to watch what God does best. Transform people's lives through people's lives like you and me. And, and as we join together, it just, it's powerful. Absolutely powerful. None of us is as strong and smart as all of us. Together, everyone achieves more. Together, everyone achieves more. Listen, you guys would agree with this. It's really, really good to learn from your mistakes. Have you guys, have you learned that through the years? Yeah, man. There's some things I've, I did and I've done. It's like, man, I'm not going there. I'm not even getting close to that again. I'm, I'm seeing it before I even head into it. But let me tell you something. It's good to learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better to learn from someone else's mistakes. Woo! So I want to hang out with some of you that have made a lot of mistakes, okay? So I can learn from it. It's like, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for sharing your life with me. I'm not even going to get close to that. And so that's why the next best thing to being wise yourself is to live in a circle of those who are. You don't have a long enough life to learn all the things you need to learn through your mistakes, okay? So start learning from other people's mistakes. And people need to be open about their mistakes. No church will ever be able to afford enough staff to cover all the teaching and admonishing moments that God will give his church in any given week. There is so much more that goes on here at Desert Breeze. You have no idea. And um, it's through our small groups. It's through our ministries. And life change happens best where? Small groups. So here's, here's part of my challenge here this morning. Man, listen. Dads. Husbands, wives, families, get together around the dinner table. Take the growing notes. Take a verse that we talk about this weekend and just begin to talk it over with your family. Do, do family devotions. And couples, listen, sit down and pray together. 
Talk about intimacy. Oh my goodness, begin to pray with each other and pray for your bride. I mean, lay hands on her and, and pray for her. I had something just kind of go through my mind. I, I thought I better not say it. Don't just lay hands on her, but lay hands on her and pray for her. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's good, it's good that you got a healthy s sex life, but don't let that be the only time you lay hands on her, okay? Oh, that's messed up, huh? Uh, that's not even in my notes anywhere here. But man, pray with each other. I love praying with my wife. When we're heading, heading to, to work out in the mornings, I'm praying. I'm praying with my eyes open. I'm driving, you know, because she's over there white knuckling the, because the way I drive. She's like, God, help him, help him to learn not to drive so aggressively. But, uh, but can you imagine that? Hey, listen, you don't even have to get involved in one of our small groups. Call up a friend and just hang out at a coffee shop somewhere and take the growing notes and just begin to share your life. Just open up to, to one another. Do that. Start your own group and then we'll in, include it into all of our groups. You know, or whatever. You don't even have to have a group that's part of this church. Start your own group. But connect with others. Study God's word together. Pray with each other. That's the challenge. Life change happens best in small groups. There's life change that's not going to happen right here on weekend services. This is the catalyst. I'm just here to motivate you. And to push you to get involved and get connected at a deeper level. And that's, that's it. By studying the Bible and praying with friends, you will be able to see and hear facets of Jesus' beauty and glory that you have not yet encountered and you will never encounter on your own. Believe me, there's aspects of, of Jesus' beauty that I, have, that I have experienced through my staff, through our staff here. And, and, and through our elders. Oh my goodness. What a godly bunch of guys. I've seen Christ through them. And then, and then the Thursday men's group that I go to here on Thursday mornings. That's a good group, huh? Is that a good group? Oh my goodness. I see, I see Christ in these guys and it so inspires me. It's a little early. It's like 6 o'clock it starts. But man, it's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Here's the next one, support. Verse 10. Let me read the verse. He says, for if they fall, boy, this is a good verse. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe. Let that fall on you just a minute. Woe, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. <clears throat> Have you ever tried have you ever tried to heal the deep places in your soul? You know that part of you that that misfires, that part of you that you know, that place where you've got those hurts, habits, and hang ups. We all have those. That part of you that keeps leading you back to the same old crap over and over again. That stuff is terribly weighty. It's, it's an unbearable journey alone, believe me. And I praise God for people who come alongside of you and me and pick us up. 
There have been times in my life I've been flat on my face and I thank God that there were people there to pick me back up and love on me in that. We all have blind spots. Now get ready to take some notes on this one because I'm going to tell you something that's quite revolutionary, okay? We all have blind spots and here's the thing about blind spots. Okay, you guys ready? Ready to write? Here's the thing about blind spots is that you can't see them. That was pretty revolutionary, wasn't it? And if you can't see where you're weak and prone to fall, how are you going to keep yourself from falling? You're not. You can't see it. You can't see it coming. You desperately need people to be able to see those blind spots in you. And thank God. Praise God for people who love you and know you in such a way that they're not afraid to speak truth to you. I've had brothers in the church here take me to the side and say, man, I love you. But here's what I'm seeing. Am I wrong? What's going on here? Oh, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Initially, I kind of pushed back, wanted to fight them. No, that's not true. And then finally, the more I thought about it, the Holy Spirit began to sink it deep in my heart. And I realized, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then there's consoling. That's verse 11. Let me read that verse. He says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I know all the single guys are underlining that verse right now. <laughs> You're going to take it over to their, their girlfriend. Hey, see, this is right here in the, ver- in the Bible. Don't dare you do. You're misapplying the verse, okay? Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? It's consoling. I, yeah, I wanted to stay with S words, but I thought consoling would be the better word here, okay? So synergy, support, you could call it satisfaction. There's a deep satisfaction, but, but consoling. Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I mean, this world is a dark and cold and lonely place. And then add to that the winter seasons of life that we all go through and you have the making of an emotional collapse. Believe me. Us desert rats don't even know what cold is, do we? I mean, when you think of coldness, we don't know what cold is. How many are feeling really cold in here this morning? It's 74 in here, okay? It's 74 degrees, you desert rats, you. It's cold in here. It's 74, okay? Uh, And so we don't even know what cold is. Nancy and I took our daughter and my sister went with us to New York City here a couple months ago. And the last day when we were getting ready to leave, it was 23 degrees with a wind chill of 13. And as we got off the tour bus there at Times Square, we had about seven or eight blocks to walk. And believe me, we were cold. I, my, my, my arms were numb. Here, someone help me. I can't even hardly walk. And we had like 20 layers of clothes on. They were worthless. We're, we probably don't even know how to dress, but we just, I was like walking like this. I can't walk. I can't feel anything. I even had these, you know, those warmers you put in your shoes. Those were worthless. You could have had a box of those and they wouldn't have helped us. And it was all we could do to try to get back to our hotel. And so we cut into a Starbucks. And, and I think this last winter, they were having this molten hot chocolate. Oh, it was rich. I just stood up to the counter and said, could you pour that all over my body? <laughs> ah! 
And, and I, so I got a big cup of that, started sipping on it, started kind of warming me up. So we went out there to try to make it. And there's still tons of people there. We're standing at the lights waiting to get across the light. I just wanted to gather everybody up. Let's just huddle right now until the light changes. <laughs> just so we can stay warm. I am desperate right now. And, uh, and you know what it's like to be cold and feel dead. And that's what this verse is telling us. When you go through the winter times, when you're feeling cold and dead spiritually in your life, no matter how cold and dead it gets, there's nothing quite like the consoling companionship and warmth of friends. There was a time in our ministry life that Nancy and I were so decimated, we were so cold and dead that we couldn't even console each other. We were devastated. And I'm so thankful. We had spiritual capital and equity that we had cultivated through the years because we had brothers and sisters in Christ that came along and warmed us up. Their just being there began to bring a warmth to our lives and helped us and they continued to point us to Jesus and embraced us and loved us. And then 12, verse 12 And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. Matthew 18, 19 through 20, it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, what does it say? He's there, he's there. Now I know, I know this talks about church discipline, but it's talking more than just church discipline and dealing with conflict within the church. It's actually talking about, about the dynamic of God's presence. There is a safety in numbers and there is a dynamic of God's power and presence that is found in community that can break, listen to me, that it can break the power of Satan and sin working in our lives like nothing else. Like nothing else. When I'm, when I'm hanging out with other brothers in Christ, there's something, there's something in that dynamic of the God's presence right there as we pray with one another. I've asked guys to pray for me. And man, the power of God that I've experienced through that, it's amazing. And so here's what I want you to, I want you to be, have the, the emotional, the relational capital and equity to the degrees that the next time the enemy comes after you, the next time you feel that the odds are against you, that you need to be able to look square into the eye of, of your opposition, whatever it might be, and be able to say, if you want to fight me, you better bring an army. You better pack a lunch. Because I have, you don't stand a chance, because I have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. They're going to put a number on you. Whatever that might be, to have that sense of confidence in the Lord, knowing that I've got, I've got people, I know people are praying for me. I know many of you are praying for me. I've got a brother that prays for me consistently. He'll send me a text message. And I know that there's a lot of stuff that I haven't experienced because he chased it away through his prayers. You need people. You need to know that people are praying for you, that people love you. You need to be a part of a community that does that. Now, why, why do so few of us have relationships like this? Why do so many of us struggle to walk in these deep life-giving relationships? And I think it's because I don't, I don't think we, we really know Jesus like we say we know him. 
Because if we knew him like we say we know him, if you really knew the synergy of walking with Christ, the support of his love, the, the consolation of his promises, the strength of his power, believe me, no one would be able to keep you from being right in the middle of his redemptive purposes through a local church community like Desert Breeze. I mean, when you begin to experience the wealth of his, his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, the significance of being called his child, you're going to want to pass it on to others. Now, Nancy and I got married young. She was 19. I was a month away from 15. And... Okay, I was a month away from 21. And, uh, and, and I dated a number of girls, and usually after that first date, I kind of knew. It was like, that, no, see you later. And uh, sorry, I, I wasn't trying to be mean, but, uh, but I had them do that to me too. I had more do it to me than I did to them, okay? And I only dated like three girls anyway. So. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm not going to get into that right now. But I heard some people over here go, oh, okay, Sorry. Didn't mean to sound so offensive, but it was kind of like, I mean, you know, you can kind of tell after the first couple of days. You guys, uh, okay, hey, we can still be friends, but I probably won't marry you. <laughs> and I had some of them say, thank God. <laughs> but I kind of knew when I met my, my wife after just a few months of getting to know her and about six months into it, and, and we, after about a year and a half, we did get married. And... Um, and what was interesting about the trend that happened after that is that we began to see in this next generation a whole, whole trend of, of guys dating girls for four to six years and then you'd ask the guy, when are you guys going to get married? Well, I'm just, I'm just not really sure. I'm just not really sure. Which is a reflection of our, of our culture, this, this kind of undecidedness and not sure. And I know that there can be some hurt and abuse and maybe you come from a broken home. But, and I'm thinking to myself, you're not sure. You've known this gal for four to six years. You're not sure if you're going to marry her or not. It's like, I mean, you can get a college degree in just a few years. You can learn a whole field in four to five years, and you don't know whether to marry her? What the heck is going on? And of course, I would counsel the gal, dump the dude. Move on. That sounds harsh. And, and each situation is a little bit differently. But here, I'm using this as an illustration, so don't, don't, don't take it where you shouldn't. But there's a difference between going to church and belonging to a covenant community. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. The difference, the difference between just dating or just living together and, and getting married is called commitment. We're afraid to make a commitment. It's the next two fill in the blanks on your notes. You become a Christian by committing yourself to Christ. You become a member of a local church family by committing yourself to other believers. We become what we're committed to. Now, you'll notice in the bulletin, we gave you an opportunity to, to make a commitment, to, to look at some, some opportunities here. This flyer in the bulletin, how to get connected in a growing church family. I mean, there's some great opportunities here. Sign it up. Sign on there, and, and we'll have someone call you. Or on the back, life groups. We've got tons of life groups here. You can go out into the foyer and look at uh, the wall, or you can go online and check them out. Or, or maybe, maybe God's called you to start one. I can't help but think that there's a lot of you out here that should be leading a small group. There's many of you that should be hosting a small group in your home. And so, take a look at that. And uh, 
That's, that's part, of, part of this challenge. And everybody says that they, wanna, they want community and friendship, but mention accountability and commitment. And oftentimes, in our culture today, people run the other way. But here's the, the, the point. The more independent you are, the less synergy, support, consoling, and strength in your relationships that you're going to experience. Okay, here's the last few verses. We're almost finished. And so the last part of this is kind of almost comes off a little bit odd, but I, I, it took me a little bit to study this and understand this. But listen to what he says, verses 13 all the way to the end of the chapter. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So this old king became foolish because he wasn't teachable. So you got this young buck coming up. And he says, for he went from prison, this young buck went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had never been, he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's palace. So this guy's becoming popular. He's going to take the place of the king. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. So this guy has overcome some great obstacles in his life. He's achieved a great deal. But notice what it says, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. In other words, it's fleeting. Popularity is fleeting. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Here's the point. Success, achievement, and popularity is not a bad thing when it's done in the right way for the right reasons, but it is fleeting and no substitute for deep, life-giving relationships. It's what you were created for. A shocking amount of Christian consumerism exists in the church today. Here's the last point on your notes. The difference between a consumer and a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is the difference between seeing the church as a place you attend rather than a group of people in God's redemptive purposes you are intimately involved in. Now, I'm going to pray in a moment, but I'm going to challenge you. This is my challenge for those of you that need to get baptized. Some of you need to make a public declaration of your faith. You've confessed Christ. Next step get baptized. There's a class, 10 to 15 minute class right over here to my right, your left, right at the end of the service. And, and let me just say something to those of you that got baptized as, as infants. And we always have a high percentage of people that come from a Roman Catholicism or Episcopal or whatever background and you were baptized as an infant. That was very commendable of your family to do that. But it's not biblical. It's not biblical. And now as an adult, if you have confessed faith in Christ, you need to make it public. You need to make a public declaration. I would challenge you on that. I would encourage you, just come over. You don't have to get baptized. Just come over and, and listen to the class for about five to ten minutes this morning. And we've got a few that are doing that because of that. They got baptized as infants, and now they want to make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus. And here's my other, uh, another quick, uh, this is my ask this morning. There's a number of you that have been hanging out with us for quite a number of years, and then many of you, some of you are, are, are new. I'm asking for those of you, if you want to say something about the, the impact that Desert Breeze has had on your life, I've got Phil, he's going to come up here at the end, and we're, we, last night we had a, a number of people that we just, what's the impact that Desert Breeze has had on your life? We're just going to get little sound bites. We're putting together a video for next weekend. And just what, what comes to mind when, when you think about Desert Breeze? What's the impact that we've had on your life? So we'd ask you at the end of the service, just come on up here and we'll gather you up and maybe he'll do it here or he'll take you over to room 107. There's a number of you that could do that. And so we're asking you to do that this morning. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Wow. You're amazing, God. We love you. We confess our sins of distrust, envy, laziness, fatigue, and greed. 
Thank you, Father, that by grace through faith in Jesus, you not only forgive us, but also provide for us synergy, support, consoling, and strength through local church families like Desert Breeze. We know that there is a direct connection between what kind of awe has captured our heart and how much we are involved in a local church community. We pray that we would follow you so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in our life would look weak in comparison as we take the next step in full devotion to you. Whatever it might be, whether it be finding a church home or attending more consistently or getting involved in ministry or small group here at Desert Breeze. God, we pray these things for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, love you guys. Have a great week.